Here's the thing, man. This is what I want to talk about for a few minutes today is, is what is it that's kind of that thing on the inside of us that even though we know we shouldn't, even though people tell us we shouldn't, even though kind of we know it's not a good decision to make, we make anyways. What is that that drives us to make decisions that we know we shouldn't make? Because if we're honest, it doesn't just happen around the holidays and doesn't just happen around food, right? Some of you are in trouble financially because of decisions you've made with charge cards and credit cards, and right? I mean, you know you didn't need it. You didn't really have to have it, but you bought it anyways. And now you have credit card debt, and now you're kind of up to your eyes trying to figure out how to make life happen financially, right? And so we go through it. It doesn't just happen financially. It happens in relationships. Some of you are dating somebody, or you were dating somebody, and you knew you shouldn't be with that person. You knew they didn't love God the way you love God, or you knew they were bad for you, and your friends told you they were bad for you, or she was bad for you, and you dated them anyways. What is it, guys, here's a question I want to ask. What is it that we all experience, that we all have, that we do things we know we shouldn't do, that we make decisions we know we shouldn't make, even though we know we shouldn't make them, but we go ahead and it's like, well, I know I shouldn't, but I want to. What is it that after we make something, we say, hey, why did I do that? Why did I eat that? Why did I buy that? What made me make that decision? Well, today I'm going to tell you that ultimately the Bible gives us the answer and tells us kind of what that thing is. And the Bible tells us it's this thing called the lust of the flesh. It's, it's this passion that pushes all of us to make decisions. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this thing that all of us wrestle with, these decisions that we make and what drives a lot of those decisions. And here's what he says. Check it out in Galatians Chapter 5, everyone read this with me. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit... Y'all got to jump in here, help me now. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now, I just want you to know that the most important thing you could ever do in your life, our goal in life is this right here, that we live as people who are led by the Spirit of God. That once you come into a relationship with Christ, the Spirit of God, God's presence lives on the inside of us. And if you'll follow his promptings, if you'll follow his leadership in your life, that's our ultimate goal. That's our objective in life. So again, he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and watch what happens. Then you won't be doing what you read it, sinful nature craves. Keep going. The sinful nature wants to do, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of the sin, what the sinful nature desires. So I want you to notice this. So the Apostle Paul, he's saying, hey, listen, every one of us in this room, you have an old nature, and when you come to Christ, when you come into a relationship with God, you get a new nature. You're a, you're a new person. There's, there's things that you desire now that you never desired before, right? Some of you guys could never imagine that there would be a day that you would get up when it's 12 degrees outside, you would get in car and be sitting at church in the morning. You never thought that would happen, but you're here today because you're a Christ follower, and God gave you a passion and desire to be in his house, to worship with his people, and to go after his presence. Come on, somebody, right? So God put that passion in you. But how many of you guys know that even though we have new desires, we still have old desires? We still have old habits that we wrestle with. We have old things that kind of we battle with. And here's the challenge that Paul is talking about, is that all of us, that we have these things, we have these cravings, we have these desires, and some of them are from your sinful nature, and some of them are from your spirit nature, that as a person who's born again, you have these two natures that are wrestling against each other. And what you need to know is, is that your, your desires drive your dedication. 
that if you don't have desires that are under control, it will tell, it'll drive you in a direction that you'll be dedicated to things you shouldn't be dedicated to. That your cravings determine your consecration. That what you crave, what you're hungry for in life. That if you're not careful, it'll pull you away from God and pull you back into old habits and old lifestyles. But the great news is, and this is really what I want to focus on for a second, is how many people here know that God has given you His Spirit and with it new desires? Anybody here thankful for new desires? And God's working those in us. But that battle's there. Those challenges are there. And again, the challenge is for all of us as we wrestle with these cravings, as we battle these desires, as we try to navigate our life around these temptations that we all face between, again, the old nature and the new nature, between the old man and the new man, between the old way of living and the new way of living, as we try to navigate these, if we're honest, all of us in the room, we've not always done what we should do. There have been times we've given in to the old cravings. You can just amen me because I'm not up here alone. There have been times I've given into the old nature. There's been times that I acted like the old Steve and talked like the old Steve and said things like the old Steve and behaved like the old Steve. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? So that's for all of us. And so here's the goal is for us to be people who are led by the Spirit, who obey the cravings that God gives us that we can live the life that God has for us. And so today for a few minutes, I want to give you a tool. We talk about this this time of the year, every year, I want to give you a tool that Jesus gives you to help you to live the life that he has for you, for you and I to kind of see that goal fulfilled, to really be led by the Spirit. And here's the tool that Jesus gives us. Check it out. Here it is. Matthew chapter 6. Read it with me. And when you fast, I want you to notice right out of the gate, a lot of people have said this a lot of times, Jesus doesn't say if you fast. What does he say? When you fast. So Jesus here, talking to his disciples, his assumption is that you and I, as his disciples, will be people who fast. Now, I want to be clear here on the front end. Scripture never commands us that we have to fast. But again, Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi, our savior, he expects that there will be times in our lives when we fast. Keep reading in. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they'll ever get. He says, but when you fast, come on, say that, but what? When you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Now, I'm going to say this. We are all about people taking baths and combing their hair and washing their face during a fast. So don't get all spiritual. Keep going. Watch this. He says, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. Everybody read this out loud, every voice. And your father who sees, what will he do? Will, oh, y'all got to say that. He'll do what? Reward you. He will reward you. This is awesome because Jesus steps on the scene. He says, listen, he said, I want everybody to know. And he's, he's teaching this message. He's preaching this message that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he hits three major spiritual disciplines, three things that every Christ follower should be consistently involved in. And he says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Not if you give, but when you give. Not if you pray, but when you pray. And he combines those two, and he says also, not just if you fast, but when you fast. What is fasting? Some of you have been in church a long time, and maybe you've heard about what fasting is, but you've not done it. 
One of the things I love about our church is we always see new people who are coming and people who really are kind of new to spiritual things and new to faith. And so here's what fasting is. If you don't know what fasting is, here's a simple definition of fasting right here. Fasting is abstaining from something we want or need for spiritual reasons. So when you fast, it's choosing not to do something for a certain amount of time with the goal of spiritual benefits. Now, I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm not afraid to back down from this, um, even though I think there are a lot of benefits, and, and I'm going to tell you as we step into, as a church, a 21-day fast, if you choose to fast from social media, I think that's a win. If you choose to fast from entertainment or you choose to fast from whatever, I think all those are good things. But I want you to know, biblically and historically, the primary thing that, the, the, that history shows us is that when Jesus talks about fasting, he calls us to fast food. Everybody shout, don't eat. In fact, the root word of the Hebrew word fast means to shut your mouth, to close your mouth. So it's very absolutely clear that God wants us. Again, Jesus, he tells us, hey, listen, if you're going to have victory in your life, if you're going to overcome the cravings that challenge your commitment, if you're going to change the desires that drive your dedication, he says that I've given you a tool, and that tool is fasting. So to make a decision to abstain, to pull away from, to stop doing certain things for a certain period of time for spiritual reasons. Now, I'm where you are. That's crazy. Wait a minute, Pastor. So you just told us we don't have to do it. Like you can still go to heaven and not do this. You can still love Jesus and not do this. I think you can still live a, a pretty godly life and not do this. But I'm just telling you, Jesus said for those who fast, there's rewards. Now, I'm not telling you there's rewards. I'm telling you Jesus. Now, he said, now think about what he would consider a reward. This is the God of heaven who has access. If he calls it a reward, how many people know that it must be pretty good? So he says, hey, your father in heaven, for those who fast, he's going to reward you. Now, again, so I know it's crazy, but listen, everybody in this room, you have done far crazier things for far less reward. Come on now. I'm just telling you to stop eating for a little bit. And you're all like, what? I can't stop eating. Are you kidding? Some of you will not blow away. Come on. Come on. Let's just be honest. To stop eating, think about some things you've done. How many people here, I asked first service, and I, I know this is a trend that's not as popular, but how many people here ever bungee jumped? Ever bungee jumped? A couple of you guys. Now, let me just, if you don't even know what bungee, they strap you to a rubber band and push you off a building and say, good luck, have fun. The first time, well, I think the only time I ever bungee jumped, so I went, you know, my weight's always fluctuated, and so I was about 280, and it said 280 naked, which means like 290 dressed. <laughs> Just to be clear, because when you get on scale, you take off everything. Uh, so, <clears throat> so I was probably like 285, 290 dressed, and I went bungee jumping, and it said right there, maximum weight 275, but I was way too proud to say that I was overweight. I risked my life for just a quick like, woo, and that's it. I gave $95 for that. Jumping off a building on hooked to a rubber band, that's crazy. Anybody here ever go snorkeling or swimming with sharks? That's crazy. What do you get out of that? But maybe bit. <laughs> tattoos. Now, listen, I'm just telling you, I'm up in a midlife crisis. I'm 45. I might get a tattoo, so I'm not slamming tattoos. If you have a tattoo, Jesus loves you. I'm not saying anything bad about piercings. But I'm just telling you, listen, when you got a tattoo when you was 20 and hot and a fine young thing, that's one thing. But when you're 45 years, 20 kids and three kids down the road, your tattoo ain't really a tattoo anymore. It's kind of like, what, what is that? 
you got to kind of like stretch it out. Oh, I see what that is. I got it. What did you get a tattoo for? I mean, right? What did you? That's crazy. No one here lo- grows up loving needles. Every kid hates needles. But you paid someone $500 to stick you with a machine that sticks you with a needle 3,000 times a minute to wear something you can't never take off again. That's crazy. But Jesus said, if you will fast, if you will choose to abstain from something you want, more importantly, something you need, specifically food, for a period of time, he says, your heavenly Father will reward you. He'll benefit you. And so as a church, I want in 2017, I want for your life, I want for my life, and I want for the life of faith church for us to experience the benefits and the reward of our Father in heaven. Is anybody in for that? So before I tell you what the benefits are not, let me tell you what the benefits are. Or before I tell you what they are, let me tell you what they are not. So if you think, okay, I'm going to fast, I'm going to give it a shot, let me tell you what the benefits are not. Here's what they are not. First of all, love. doesn't matter how much you fast, God will not love you more than he already loves you. God loves you all the way, all the time. But pastor, like, you don't know what I did just last night. He loves you all the way. Pastor, you don't know how I grew up. He loves you all the way. Pastor, I'm a Sunday school teacher, and I give lots of money to church. He loves you all the way. He loves every one of us in this room who are different people from different backgrounds and different parts of our spiritual journey. He loves us all the way, all the time. So no matter what you do, he ain't going to love you anymore. So this is not to get God to love you. Number two, it's not for more relationship. And when I say that, I'm going to... I'll come back on the backside, but this is not to get God to move closer to you. This is not to change your stance or your standing before God. The standing we have before God was secured in Christ. You have a right or righteous standing before God because of Christ, and nothing you can do can change that. That's good news. Let me say it again. Nothing you can do can change that. Amen. So here's the last one. This is another thing fasting does not do, does not accomplish. It's not penance. You're not abusing yourself or hurting yourself in some way to try to make penance for your sins or to pay for your sins. Again, good news. Good news, guys. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He took the punishment and the penalty and the separation for our sin so we could be connected and forgiven and find grace in the eyes of our Father. That's really great news. So that's not why we do this. That's not why we do this. There's a reason, though, man. Again, think about what Paul said. Paul said that there is this There is this battle going on between our old man and our new man, our spiritual man and our natural man, our carnal man. And here's what fasting does. Fasting starves the natural man, and it feeds the spiritual man. You have on the inside of you, and I have on the inside of me, two natures. And again, Paul said those things are clashing. They're opposite. They're contrary. And what fasting does, the reason fasting is such a powerful tool is it starves those desires. It quenches those old habits and desires that are alive on the inside. And it strengthens our spiritual man. It awakens that spiritual side of us to get closer to God, to be more hungry for God, to be led, again, this is our goal, to be led more by the Spirit. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here to help you. I encourage you guys to write these down if you're not, but watch this. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. He says, do not let, I want you all to read this with me, do not let any part of what? Your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Now, now stop. How many people here, you've ever used your body as an instrument of evil? 
Now, evil might be too hard of a word for you to choke down right now. How many of you have ever used your body to do something you know you shouldn't do and wasn't really good for your relationship with God? Wave at me. Like you use your mouth for gossip or slander or you physically hurt somebody, you've done things or your feet have taken you places you shouldn't go or your eyes have looked at things. Anybody here ever used your body for something evil? So he says, okay, that's, that's not what we're going to do anymore. Now as Christ followers, we're not going to use our body as instruments of evil to serve sin. Instead, come on, read it. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. Next verse. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. I love this because if you're here and like maybe your mindset is, well, my faith is private and I don't live it out loud and it's nobody's business. It's between me and God. The problem with that is the Bible because the Bible makes clear that if you are a Christ follower, if you are a person of faith, one of the ways that we serve God is with our whole body, which means we live our faith out loud. You can see by how I use my hands, how I move my mouth, what my eyes see, where my feet go, how I use my body is a representation of the faith that I have. Are you all hearing that? And so we used to use it for the devil. We used to use it for evil. We used to use it for our own selfish nature. But now we use it to glorify God. Now we use it to serve people. Now we do it for good and no longer for evil. So that's the challenge. One more scripture. Watch this. Romans chapter 6 or Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, watch this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So again, think about this. There's our old nature, new nature, sinful nature, spirit nature. And those two things are wrestling. And what you need to know is both are trying to use your body to reflect what it's about. My body used to reflect my old nature. Now I want my body, my life to reflect my new nature, who I am as a Christ follower. And what, I, what I'd say is if you're taking notes is this, is our body... Our body is an expression of what's in our hearts. Think about this. How you act, how you react. If there's anger in your life, it's going to spill over. Like y'all going to be punching walls and screaming and ah. But if you have joy in your life, you're going to be laughing, have peace, right? So whatever's in your heart, your body is just an expression. Your body is a canvas to be painted on, either by your carnal nature or your new spirit nature. Your body is a canvas either to be used to express old cravings and old desires or new cravings and new desires. And the way we change gears, the way we move from the old to the new, the way we break old habits, old cravings, old passions, and old desires in part is through the power of fasting. And when we do that, when we diminish those old cravings, those new cravings that God's given us as Christ follows, start to rise more and more to the top. So I'm going to give you seven benefits real quick. Seven benefits. I'd encourage you to write these down. Again, Jesus said there's rewards. These are not all of them by far, but for time, I'm going to give you seven of them just real quick. Number one, number one benefit, physical benefits. Physical benefits. Now, I'm not a physician. I'm not a doctor, so I will not pretend to be. You can take some time this afternoon, if you're really challenged by this, to look it up. Dr. Bill Bright, a great man of God, wrote a lot on fasting there, there are people who are not even Christians, who are not Christ followers, who are just very interested in physical health, that are very large proponents of fasting. You know, I'm just telling you that fasting, it really physically strengthens your body. 
Because as you eat, especially a lot of us, come on, guys, can we just be honest? A lot of stuff we eat is garbage, and a lot of the stuff we eat is not good for us. That diminishes your strength. And I want everybody to know something, that God has a mission and a plan for your life, and you need to make sure that you are here as long as necessary to fulfill the mission on your life. And if you take yourself out by your diet, that's on you to miss what God has for you. And so there are physical benefits to fasting. Let me give you a couple specific ones. Not just besides strength. When you fast, it detoxifies your body. When you fast, it starts to empty out toxins in your body. Here's another one. This is huge, and none of you will admit this, but there are people in this room that are currently addicted. Hey, man, I just need my fix, man. I just need my fix. You got my fix, man? Like, it's not crack. Y'all aren't on the crack pipe, but some of you are on the sugar pipe, on the caffeine pipe. Come on, somebody. Like, we just got to have it, and your body is addicted. That's why when you don't have it, you got headaches. You wake up in the morning, you don't kiss your wife, you don't pet the dog, you don't go. The first thing you do is scuffle to the kitchen and hit the on on the coffee maker. Come on, man. Why? Because you got that addiction. You got to have it. I just want you to know, God doesn't want us addicted to anything. And one of the things that will break the power of addiction in your life is to stop doing it for a while. So there are benefits, one of them, again, being physical benefits. Number two, real quick. Number two, this is a great one. I think this is probably one of the most important, is intimacy with the Lord. This is why Jesus died. Jesus died to put us in a closer relationship with the Father. We were separated by sin. Jesus bridged the gap by his death and his resurrection so we could have that relationship. But the depth of that relationship, the passion of that relationship can change, and we all know this. So through fasting, you have an avenue, you have a venue to get more intimate, to get closer with the Lord. In fact, Jesus tells us and gives us this huge clue to really that this is the reason for fasting. In fact, watch what Jesus says. Now, this is before I read this. John the Baptist had disciples. Jesus had his disciples in the beginning of his ministry. John the Baptist and his disciples, they were fasting. They were like doing all these things. The Pharisees, they were fasting. And a group of them come to Jesus and like, hey, Jesus, what gives? Like, we're fasting, the Pharisees are fasting, John, he's fasting. How come none of your disciples fast? And notice what Jesus says. Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. What he's referring to is he's the groom. We are his bridegroom, he is our groom. He's saying, hey, as long as I'm with my disciples, they don't need to fast. But there's going to come a time I'm no longer going to be with them. He says, that's what fasting is for, is to draw closer to me, is to pull closer to me. How many people in this room know that we face a ton of distractions? Like our phones are always going off. People are texting us. Our favorite show's on TV. We have to run our kids to sporting. We have work to do. We got to work to take home. Like there are a ton of things pulling on our minds and our focus, our time and our attention. What fasting does is it puts the brakes on life and gives you a dedicated time to pause and focus on your relationship with Christ. And by that, get closer to him than maybe you've been in a long time. Number three, humility. Humility. Everybody shout humility. Let me just tell you, God can do more than you ever can. Let me try that over here. God can do more than you ever can. Anybody here believe that? God can do more than we could ever do. 
But we depend on us and we depend on our strength. We depend on our ability to provide for ourselves. We depend on doctors' abilities to heal us. We, we depend on all, and all those things are good and counselors are good. Counselors can help your marriage and physicians can help your body and, and bankers can help with your finance. But I'm just here to tell you that way beyond the ability of man or our flesh or our strength or our wisdom, there is a God in heaven who is omnipotent, who is omniscient. He is able to do all things to all people at all times. He is our source and our resource and our strength, and we should depend on him far more than we ever depend and rest in ourselves. He is your answer, your strength, and your supply. Come on, somebody. So what humility does is humility is a way of saying to God, God, I lower myself and I exalt you. I can't do this, but you can. Check out this verse right here. Nehemiah, some of you guys know the story in 586 BC, Jerusalem was wiped out. God's people were taken into captivity into Babylon. Jerusalem, God's holy city, was destroyed. The walls around Jerusalem were torn down. Nehemiah was absolutely devastated to know the condition of God's city. And as he heard the reports and seen what had happened, he found himself broken, not just because he happened, but because he wanted to see it change. He wanted to see the walls rebuilt. And he knew he didn't have the ability. He didn't have the resources. He didn't have the strength. And so what did he do? He humbled himself before God. Watch this. When I heard this about Jerusalem, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, read it, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And do you know it's this same Nehemiah who went in went on to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem with God's strength, guys. Come on. You know the Bible says that if we will humble ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God, that he'll lift you up. Listen, anybody here need lifted up? Anybody here in a tough place and you need picked up? Anybody here down and out and you need somebody to reach down and give you a hand and lift you up and there's no better hand than God? God says one of the ways to access his strength is through our humility. And we express that humility through fasting. Number four, repentance. Repentance. Now, I don't know if anybody else has had this conversation ever with your spouse or with a kid where somebody does something to you and then they tell you you're sorry and you judge how sorry they are because they don't sound very sorry. Well, you didn't sound very sorry. You must not be sorry. Right? Listen, I've done that with my kids. My wife, she's done it with me. I'm sorry. Right? We do it with God. You know, here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says that if you sin, if you fall short, if you mess up, you miss the mark, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you'll confess your sin, the Bible says that God is, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all right. So if you look at God and say, God, I blew it, I messed up, I'm sorry. God knows the condition of your heart. He knows if you're sincere, if you are. The Bible says he'll forgive you. I'm not telling you you need to do more than that, but can I just, just challenge you in this and saying that there's a difference when someone tells you they're sorry and someone shows you they're sorry? Is there, is there a difference? Come on. Wives, help me out here. Wives, is there a difference if your husband says they're sorry or is there a difference if they show you you're sorry and they bring you like some roses and some bling and spend some time with you and takes you out on a date? Is there a difference if they say it or show it? Come on. Absolutely. What repentance is, is for us to tell God, God, we're sorry, but not just to say it, to show it. I'm just going to tell you, if you're here and you've gone, you've gone through a season, man, where you've not been obeying God, you've not been following the Lord Fasting is a great way to display a humility and repentance. Check this out, two verses. It says, The people of Nineveh, excuse me, the people of Nineveh believe God's message, and from the greatest to the least, watch this, they declared a fast 
and put on burlap to show their sorrow. They didn't just say, God, we're sorry. They went into a season where, man, they just focused in on God through fasting and showed God the repentance, didn't just say the repentance. Here's another one. Check this out. Joel 2.12. That is why the Lord says, and that's what God says, turn to me now. Y'all got to read this. While there is time, give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So again, repentance. Fasting is a great way to bring us to a place of repentance. Number five, freedom from bondage. Freedom from bondage. Anybody, anybody here ever been, feel like you're stuck somewhere? Anybody ever here feel like you're trapped, stuck in a situation, overcome by a habit, like you said you're sorry and you'll never do it again, then you do it again? Anybody here ever feel like you're stuck or ever been stuck? Wave at me. I'm just telling you that through fasting is a powerful tool to use to set you free, right? So track this. So Jesus, part of what he did was he transferred himself into his disciples. He showed them how to live, how to minister, how to act. And as he did it, they learned from him, and they went out preaching the gospel he preached. In fact, Jesus commissioned us as his disciples, hey, go into the world and preach the gospel. He told his disciples, hey, when you go, don't just go telling them, man, go showing them. When you find sick people, he said, lay hands on them and pray for them. He said, when you find people who are demon-possessed, he said, I want you to cast out demons. And so the disciples did it, man. They didn't just follow Jesus. They did what he did. They preached like him, and they prayed like him, and they healed people like him. And there were people that came to him that were demon-possessed. And man, one time the Bible says they came back and they were so stoked that they could do the things Jesus did. Well, there's one story where a man comes broken and he's carrying his baby boy and his baby boy is demon-possessed. The dad is, he's absolutely beside himself. He doesn't know how to get his little boy free. He's heard about Jesus. And he's heard about the disciples. Like the disciples that follow Jesus, they're like Jesus. And so he brings his baby boy to the disciples, and the disciples do what they always done. I mean, they, they, like, they got it. They got, they're confident. They look and like, in the name of Jesus, be free, and nothing happens. So they're like, okay, we got to do something different. We use the name, but nothing happened. And I, you know, in my mind, I imagine they went and they laid hands on him. And like, you know, anybody who grew up in a Pentecostal church, like everybody laying hands on him, and like, hang on, let go. And, you know, and nothing happened. And this little boy was still demon-possessed. And the disciples are like, what's wrong? Like, Jesus, we did what we've seen you do. We did what you told us to do, and it's not having an effect on this little boy. And they go to Jesus and tell him, and Jesus goes, and the Bible says in one word, he sets this little boy free. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what gives? Like, we did what you did. Like, how could you set this kid free? And we couldn't if we did what you did. And notice what Jesus says. Check this out. Jesus replied, read this with me, this kind this kind of battle, this kind of struggle, this kind of addiction, this kind of devil, this kind can be cast out, what? Only by prayer and fasting. There is sometimes a next level devil and you need a next level tool. You need some next level power to overcome it and that is access through fasting. Number six, revelation or guidance. If you ever hear in a place and Maybe you're getting ready to start a business or going to a new venture and you have some opportunities in front of you and you're trying to figure out, God, what should I do? Again, our goal is to be led by the Spirit. God, what is it you want me to do? I'm just telling you, biblically, the Bible makes it absolutely clear that fasting unlocks, unlocks to another level God's ability to speak to us and our ability to hear. Do you know all over this room right now that there are radio waves and there are television waves? 
You don't see them, but they're here. And if you'll get the right device and tune it the right way, you'll be amazed what you can hear. And I want everybody here to know something, that your spirit, it is the thing that you need to pick up what God is saying to you. But if, you'll, if it's not tuned the right way, you can't hear them. Come on, you all got to hear this. God is speaking to every person in this room right now. God has something to say about your life, your situation, your direction. Your out. Anybody here believe this? God has something to say to you. The, what's keeping us from hearing the voice of God is we have so many other things. Like I'm driving down the road. I'm like Taco Bell, Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Burger King. I want some, right? Got all these voices, all these cravings, all these desires. Sometimes if you'll shut those other cravings off, it's not that God speaks louder. There's nothing competing for your attention. Check this out. Here's what Daniel said. Daniel said, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him specifically in prayer and fasting. So Daniel didn't just pray. He prayed and fasted. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Again, it's an external way of demonstrating what was in his heart. Watch what happens as a result of his prayer and fasting. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me this time, uh, the, came to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. Watch this, verse 22. And he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. Anybody here would like to have some insight and understanding from heaven? Wave at me. Come on. Listen, I'm just telling you, you can access it by prayer and fasting. Like Daniel, he got a download from heaven. He was able to hear with more clarity in more revelation what God wanted to know because he went into a season of prayer and fasting. I can tell you in my personal life, when I have fasted, I never hear God more clear than when I fast. I never hear God's, God's voice more consistently or more clearly than when I fast. And so fasting is a great tool for us to unlock specifically in times when you need revelation. And if you're here and you are raised or you believe a theological system that God no longer speaks through dreams or vision, then your theological system is broken because God never changes. Everybody say that. God never changes, which means if God gave visions, God gives visions. God is always the same. Come on, somebody. And so this is a great way for you to shut down the voices of your natural man, elevate the voice of your spirit man to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. Listen. Our goal in life is to be led by the Spirit. Next one. Last one right here, number seven, crucify the flesh. This is where we started. So think about it. Some of you right now, like you, like you tuned me out 10 minutes ago because you're like ready for lunch. And your, your stomach's like, oh, like you're hungry and all you're thinking about. And let's be honest, you just ate like two hours ago. You're not that hungry. Be honest, you're crazy, but you're so used to eating and feeding yourself and your cravings control your life like my cravings sometimes control my life. What fasting does is it crucifies that flesh. It's your spirit man, right? It's your spirit man telling your body, I'll tell you when you're going to eat. You're not going to tell me when I'm going to feed you. It's minimizing the voice of the natural man. It's elevating the voice of the spirit man. It's ignoring carnal desires and giving in to spiritual desires. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you? And if we'll learn to do this through the power of fasting. Again, I know it's radical. I know, believe me, I know. But I'm just telling you, it's what Jesus taught us to do. It's been happening. It happened throughout the Bible. It's been happening throughout history. For some reason, we've lost the power that Jesus unlocked. 
Here's the verse right here. One more verse. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So, as we step into 2017, this will be the sixth fast that I have started as the lead pastor of Faith Church. I just finished my fifth year here. And I just want you all to know something. If you've been here for a long time, I think you maybe know this is true. If you're here and you're new, I just want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that we have seen the growth, we have seen the impact in Faith Church because we have been a church that we start every year with a season of prayer and fasting. You know, anybody here ever heard the term, right? So this message, and maybe you're wondering, like, why is it called this? On your mark, get set, go. Right? You picture people lining up, and they get on the mark. They lift up, and they get ready. And at the, at the, at the, at the sound of the gun, they go. That's what fasting does. It puts us in a position right at the beginning of the race to win the race. See, some people will tell you, hey, it's, it's not how you start the race. It's how you finish. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah, you can still finish a race if you didn't start it well, but I'm just here to tell you, I think if you start it well, you can end it better. In fact, I would say this, that, that if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus would say how important it is for us to start well. Jesus, before he started three and a half years of ministry on earth, you want to know what he did? Wait, wait. Jesus is getting ready to start his mission. You know what he did? Anybody? Anybody? You want to know how he prepared himself for his life mission? Anybody? He fasted. Watch this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, what was he, guys? Come on, read with me. He was what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. How did he go? Verse 2. For 40 days and 40 nights, he what? And became very hungry. I don't think we needed that last part. I think that was a given. He started his ministry by fasting. Watch, watch. For 40 days, 40 nights, he's fasting, he's praying, he's seeking the Father's face. Watch how he comes out. Watch how he takes his first step in the ministry. Luke chapter 4, watch this. Everyone read last verse. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. He said, I come on a mission and I've prepared myself through prayer and fasting. And if Jesus, our model of life and ministry, began his ministry model and mission by fasting, and how much more should we? And so the beauty of this is we step into and we're combining the principle of the fast with the principle of the first. That these two things coming together, the reason we're doing this this time of the year is because I believe the principle of the first says if you'll give God the first, he'll bless the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. This is why I believe the tithe is powerful. If you'll give God your first 10%, he'll bless the other 90. Can we just get an amen in this house? God, I'm going to give you the first 10. You're going to bless the 90. I think you can do your devotions any time of the day you want. But I think if you do them in the morning, it's more powerful. Why? Because you give God the first part of your day, he blesses the rest. What we're doing is we're saying, God, we're giving you the first part of 2017. We're going to come together as a church individually and corporately. We're going to pray and fast. And God, we're believing you to bless the rest of 2017. Is anybody here ready for some of that? So tomorrow, January 9th through Monday, January 29th. Sunday, January 29th. Monday the 9th through Sunday, January 29th. The next 21 days, we're going on a fast. So I'm asking every one of you, if this is your church, if you'll join us for a season of prayer and fasting. You say, Pastor Wade, are you telling me to fast 21 days? Yes. Now, how you do it is up to you. 
If you want to fast sweets, if you want to fast coffee, caffeine, if you want to fast social media, I think anything you choose to abstain from will help you. But I want you to hear my heart, and I want you to hear me theologically, historically, and biblically. I think as part of your fast, you should consider some part of shutting your mouth, which means you should fast a meal, a season of meals, a series of days, whatever. Do what you feel like you've prayed about. Don't do it under compulsion. We're not trying to earn God's love or favor. So you might fast every breakfast, or you might fast every Wednesday, or you might fast the first three days and not fast anymore. But whatever it is, I'm asking us corporately to come together and let's fast. Number two, because it's not just fasting, because if all you're doing is fasting, you're not eating, that's a diet. You've got to pray for fasting to be effective. I want to challenge you to take the time you would normally eat and spend extra time with the Lord. As a church, we're going to be getting together for the next three Saturdays at 9 o'clock for one hour. I'm asking you for three hours of your time in the next month as a church for us to come together and let's believe God for a great 2017. Also, if you're available, every Wednesday at noon, if you have time at lunch, you can come for one hour. We'll be here as well. So here's what I want to do as I close. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor Steve, like I still got to figure out what God wants me to do. I'm going to pray about it, but I'm in. I'm committed. This is my church, and we're believing God for 2017. Pastor Steve, you can count on me to pray and fast with you. I want you to lift a hand real high. Lift a hand real high and leave it up so I can see you. If your hand's not up, I want you to feel the peer pressure. Feel the pressure. Okay. So in the seat back in front of you, there's a simple card, simple card with some very simple information. If you would like more information, Google, all you are smart people, Google Dr. Bill Bright fasting. If you just Google that, Dr. Bill Bright fasting. Genius of a man, gives lots of insight physically and spiritually to fasting. If you have questions, you can email me. I'd encourage you to follow me online for the next 21 days. Follow me um, on Facebook, and I'll put some stuff out there that'll help you and encourage us together. And so I want us to pray. I want us to pray. And I'm just going to believe God's going to begin to speak to you. We're believing, come on, guys, for old habits and old desires to die. And God to raise up on the inside of us new cravings and new desires for him and to live for him, to serve him. Anybody want some of that? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the anointing of the Spirit of God that gives us the strength and the ability, Lord, what we could never do on our own. And so, Father, we consecrate the next 21 days for you. That, God, we're going to shut off other desires. And, Father, we're going to focus on you. I pray people in this room will draw closer to you than they've been in a long time. I pray, Father, they'll hear you speak more clearly than they've ever heard you speak. I pray revelation. I pray strength. I pray, God, old habits would die. And I pray, Father, new habits would be birthed. And I pray, Father, faith church would experience, God, your presence and your favor and your grace in 2017 like never before. And, Lord, I pray, God, bless our families and our homes. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who agreed said amen.